On this Memorial Day, I want to tell you the story of Louis Zepperini. Maybe you've heard his life story in the movie Unbroken or the book on which the movie is based. I could spend my entire time speaking to you about his life. I wanted to share just a little bit today on this special Memorial Day. His life began uh, in California. He was a juvenile delinquent. He started running as a way to order his life. And he was very good at it. In fact, he ran in the Olympics in 1936 in Berlin for the U.S. team. And also after that, he went into the Army in the Air Corps in 1941. He served there for a couple of years, uh, doing very well until his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. There were 11 people on board, eight died in the crash. He and two others survived the crash. But they had to survive for 47 days at sea on a raft. Can you imagine that? I can't. The lack of food, water, the sun, the sharks. But they, two of them survived, and Lewis was one of them. But it was from out of the frying pan into the fire, because when they were rescued, it was by the Japanese. And so for two years, he went from POW camp to POW camp. And as he was there in those camps, he was severely tortured. As you can imagine, many of his fellow soldiers did not survive. He was there until the war was over, and then he came back home. He struggled with depression and struggled with dreams of the torture he had experienced until one day his wife encouraged him to go hear Billy Graham. In 1949, Lewis was saved and gave his life to the Lord. In fact, he became a Christian evangelist. And one of the great parts of his message was forgiveness. In fact, he went back to Japan and even saw some of the, the guards that had tortured him and told them that he forgave them. He lived until he was in his 90s and recently died a few years ago and lived a life of service, of a message of forgiveness. And why I want to mention him today also is because of the time that he spent in the POW camps. I can't imagine it. As I read his book, I, I couldn't imagine in my mind what it would have been like. And I've always wondered how he and so many others survived. It, obviously, it was a brutal place and a depressing place, yet they survived. It reminded me of the Apostle Paul, who also, as he was writing Ephesians, was in prison. And he got there over a couple of years' time through different trials. Trials physically and trials before the court. And there he was in Rome, imprisoned. Yet while he was imprisoned, he was not discouraged. In fact, he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.13, So then I ask you not to be discouraged over, me, over my afflictions on your behalf. Paul writes them and says to them, don't be discouraged. Now certainly now we are living in discouraging times. And even before now, life is always filled with discouragement. We can't compare each other's suffering and each other's discouraging times. Oh my goodness, how can you compare anything we go through to what Louis Zamperini faced? Or how can you compare someone's cancer diagnosis with someone else's heart issues. You really can't compare suffering, but we all do know this, 
as humans, even as Christians, that life can be filled with difficult, depressing times. But there is hope today in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3. Because just like he said to them, don't feel discouraged for me. We can have confidence and we can have happiness in the midst of discouragement. So let's find out how we can do that. First, Paul was able to do this because he had a purpose. In Ephesians 3, listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that He gave to me for you. And he says this in Ephesians 3, 7. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of of his power. Paul had a purpose. He tells us here in these verses what that is. He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He is a steward and he is a servant. Notice he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner of Rome. It's not the Romans who have imprisoned him. It's Paul's work for the Lord that has brought about this, these consequences. And Paul realizes that he is a, a steward. He's a manager of a gift that God has given him. So he has this purpose to take this gift that God has given him and to share it and to make sure that it remains perfect and it remains true and that it's shared. And because of that, he sees himself as a servant. He's a servant of the Ephesians. He's a servant of all the churches that he has founded. A servant, a steward, a prisoner. Well, of course, those can just be titles. And, and titles themselves don't give us enough purpose in life to carry on. Uh, I have some humorous titles here. I, I found some of these on the internet and I love them. Here on this BBC News report, this man is a bread scientist. I have no idea what a bread scientist is, but I'm sure he gets to eat a lot of bread. Now this guy would love to have his job. He's a shredded cheese authority. Uh, what kind of title is that? I don't know, but I want to taste it because that sounds good. Now, this one is just made up. Uh, someone must have just made this video, made this slide up. Here's Ludwig Dale, and he is in charge of the big door. So that's his title there. And this is my favorite. I don't know if this was added to this news report later, but this has got to be the best title for anyone who's been interviewed on the news. Robert Nelson is a cool kid. So here are some titles, and those titles can really mean nothing, right? You're in charge of a big door. That doesn't mean anything. So Paul calling himself a prisoner and a servant and a steward, what does that mean? It can mean absolutely nothing if he doesn't have something more than a title. And what he says is that he does have more. He has this special gift that he's a steward of. And so what is that? He says in Ephesians 3, 7 again, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This is the gospel. That is what he has. And it's everything in his life is for that gospel. He tells us more in Ephesians 3 what exactly the gospel is. Let me read it to you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. 
By reaching this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to His eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my affliction on your behalf, for they are for your glory. We have been asking the question, what is church? It is God, body, life, unity. Today we learn it is mystery. The church is all about God first. And it's about Jesus Christ, the head of the body, which is the church. Each and every one of us rightly related to God, doing what God has called us to do. We are also filled with life because we were dead in sin, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And He has created a body that's united. It's not divided into little churches, not divided among national lines. It is one body. But it's also a mystery. Now that's an odd way to talk about the church, that it's a mystery. My favorite mysteries are the ones that Scooby-Doo and the gang solved. And you know how all of those ended. It was always about ghosts and about vampires, but there was always some sinister person behind it all, making it all up. And because of those meddling kids, those villains were always caught. And of course, they drove around in the mystery machine. You can't get any more mystery than that. But for Scooby-Doo, the mystery was always trying to put clues together and figure out the puzzle. And most mysteries that we read or we watch in the movies is the very same thing. In our mind, mystery is something that's uh, hidden. It's something that needs to be uncovered. It's something that needs to be put together. I, last year, I read a book that was hundreds of pages long. I won't even tell you the name of the book or the author. It's too embarrassing for him. <laughs> but it was one of these mysteries. And what I hated about it, it was piece after piece after the puzzle, hundreds and hundreds of pages. You're just waiting for the answer to be revealed. And then the last piece of the puzzle is one that wasn't even in the box. It wasn't even on the picture in the box. It was one the author threw in at the last minute to tie everything up. And I could have found that out if he just put it in the first pages of his book. In the Bible, a mystery is different. A mystery is something that is true that God has not revealed in the past, but has revealed now. And so Paul is saying that the church is a mystery. You can look in the Old Testament and you won't find the church there. Yes, you do find a, a, a principle in the Old Testament, a principle of God's blessing and God's salvation to going to all the nations. 
In fact, when Abraham was called by God, God said to him in Genesis 12, And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So even there at the very beginning, when the nation of Israel was started by Father Abraham, God was saying, through you, everyone is going to be blessed. But most of the message of the Old Testament is about the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people, and about God's promises to them, His covenants to them, the way He helped them to become His people, how He disciplined them when they were not acting like His people. The Gentiles are there. People who were not Israelites are part of the story. But the focus wasn't on those other people. It was on the Jewish people. And what Paul says in Ephesians is this mystery that's been revealed now is that the church is not just for Jewish people. And it's not just for uh, Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish, to become part of the Jewish people. This is something completely different. This is Jews, Gentiles. This is people of all nations. Everyone together the same in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.6, Paul says specifically, The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Those three specific things tell us that there's no, now no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. There's no distinction between different nationalities, different ethnic groups. Uh, in fact, Paul says that in Galatians 3. He says there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that was hidden in the past, but now has been revealed. That the church is one, and all the nations and everyone is included. It has been wonderful, as I've had the opportunity as a pastor, to travel to different countries on missions trips, to see this face-to-face. I've been on mission trips in, in Canada, the U.S., Mexico, Jamaica, Belize, uh, Ghana. I've been to the country of England many times with Sarah. And in all of these trips, I have worshipped with other Christians. It's been wonderful to worship in different languages, to worship with people who love the same Lord, but yet their lives, their culture is completely different. This is what heaven is going to be like, every tongue, tribe, and nation. And this is the mystery that's been revealed, and this is the church. And so, as Paul talks about being a steward of this gift, the message of the church and the mystery of an inclusion of everyone, I want to ask you these three questions as we try to apply this truth to our lives. First, do you consider church a gift you have, the responsibility of sharing? Don't we often think of church as a building we go to? Don't we think of it as a place where I am encouraged? A place where I feel good? A place where I'm challenged for the week? Sometimes we do think about it as a place that we serve. But often it's, it's a place where we receive something. But church is meant to be 
a gift that God has given for us to share with others, share with the world. Do you ever think about church in that way, that it's a, it's a precious gift, almost as though God gave you uh, this gift in a box and you were to care for it, you are to make sure it's not broken. You're to make sure that it never loses its value. You're, you're to make sure that you show it to others and share it with others. This is what church is for those who are called to be with Christ and His church. So don't just think about it as something for yourself. Think about it as something precious to share with others. Also, I want to ask you, how far will you go to fulfill that responsibility? The Apostle Paul was in prison, and he had gone through beatings, shipwrecks. He had been stoned and left to die. He had gone through different trials with different judges and kings and leaders. He was under house arrest in Rome. All of this he did because he was committed to being a steward of that gift and sharing it with the Gentiles. Isn't it true that often the least inconvenience to us keeps us from participating in church or serving the Lord or sharing the gospel with others? I'm amazed sometimes even in my own life how just a, a cloudy day, I don't want to go to church on a cloudy day, it's, it's too gloomy. I don't want to go to church on a sunny day, it's too nice, I need to be outside. It can be these simple inconveniences that we don't even want to take uh, the first step to reaching someone. Don't want to even take the first step, much less going as far as Paul or others have gone. So I challenge you to do whatever God tells you and to go as far as you must to share the gospel and to share church with others. The third question I have for you is, are you really concerned that all people are included in church. It's easy to say we love everybody. It's easy to understand the concept that Paul has shared with us that everyone is included in the church. But isn't it difficult at times to really actively and practically live that in our lives? We are naturally drawn to people who look like us, have the same interest as we do, uh, have the same type of families that we do. That's just natural. Everyone has that. But we have to go beyond that. Do we really want Olive Branch to be filled with all of the nations? I convict myself of that as I think about our outreach as a church, as I think about how we welcome people. And we do a great job. I would even be proud to say better than many churches. But is it really our desire? Is it really our desire for all of the world to know Christ? It's easy to give money to an offering. Are we willing to go? Are we even giving that money to that offering? What are we doing so that the gospel goes beyond South Hill and Mecklenburg County and goes to every person on this earth? I truly believe if we were dedicated as we say we are, we would be going much more, we would be giving much more, and we would be praying much more for the gospel to go to everyone and for everyone to be included in God's church. We need purpose if we are going to be able to go through difficult and depressing times. But in this chapter, there's one more thing that is definitely also needed, and that is prayer. 
This is Paul's prayer to conclude Ephesians 3 in the first half of his letter. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul in the first chapter had prayed that the Ephesians, and us as well, would know God better. This prayer is for us to be strengthened inwardly. Isn't it true that every day we are getting weaker and weaker? We are getting closer to the grave. Our bodies are wearing out. Isn't it true that we often feel helpless and weak when we are faced with problems and we are faced with discouragement? And so that's why Paul prays. Uh, maybe we're not going to be able to have our physical bodies strengthened, but we certainly can have our inner person strengthened. And when we are strengthened, as Paul prays, by the Holy Spirit, that is God Himself. Don't you think God is powerful? That, that's the power that's working within us to strengthen us. And Paul says that when we are strengthened inwardly, he prays that we would know that Christ could dwell in our hearts. I love that picture. It's the idea of Jesus coming to your house and hanging out with you and being comfortable there. I know that's a scary thought sometimes to think that the Lord would come over and hang out with you. Think about it. I mean, I know some of us would be quickly, if we heard He was coming uh, this afternoon, we'd be cleaning the house and straighten it up. I hope that's all you would have to do. I hope you wouldn't have to go to your cupboard and hide things or go to your movie collection and hide things and, and also clean up things that you don't want God to see. We shouldn't have to do that in our house and we shouldn't have to do that in our hearts. They see, Paul prays that Christ can dwell in us and dwell in us richly. Again, with the, the power of the Spirit strengthening us, and Jesus Christ Himself dwelling in us, don't you see now how we are able to withstand anything in life? Paul also prays that we would understand the love that God has for us. Uh, the height of it and the depth and the width and the breadth of it. It goes on and on. I don't think we can ever understand it and comprehend it. But the more we know how much God loves us, the more we are able to stand in difficult times. So many times when times are hard, we complain and we feel as though God doesn't care for us. The disciples, when they were on the, in the boat, in the storm, they said to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? It was an accusation. It was a belief that they had in their hearts 
that Jesus didn't love them, that He didn't care for them. And when we have that sense, then we're going to go right to dark, deep, depressing place. But when we know how much God cares for us and how much He loves us, then we will never ask, do you really care, Lord? We will know that He does, and that will strengthen us. Paul's fourth part of his prayer is that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Again, can you imagine how strong and how tall you can stand if you are filled with God and your thoughts and your actions are filled with the fullness of God? This is Paul's prayer for us. We can overcome anything when we are strengthened by the Lord and filled with His presence. That's how Paul was able to be in prison and able to face everything that he did. And that's how you can face anything in life. So when we are praying, I want you to hear this last phrase again because it's such a powerful part of his prayer. It's worth repeating. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear that? He's able to do above and beyond. Above and beyond. You can't. Those are the words Paul used to describe that He can do anything. And notice not only what we can pray and think of, but He can do things we can't even think of. We can't even imagine them. That's how powerful He is. And so, brothers and sisters, when you are in a dark place or you're discouraged, know that God is so powerful, He can do anything. And even as you imagine everything He could do for you, He may do something even more amazing for you. What we need to do is simply go to Him in prayer. And so that's what I ask you as I conclude today. When you're in depressing and difficult times, are you focused on inward strength in those times? Or are you focused on things physically or outside of you that you can't control? And are you praying? Too many times we pray when we've exhausted everything else we can do. Prayer should be the first thing we do. And we, when we pray as Paul does, and when we have the faith that God can do the impossible and do anything, then we can face anything with faith and strength. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know God can see you through it. And I don't know where these uncertain times are going to go, but I know God is going to be with us and God's going to see us through it. And so today, I want to leave you with that hope and I want to leave you with that encouragement. Take it from the Lord today and help it and take it and let it help you in your life. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, my prayer is that of the Apostle Paul, that you would strengthen us for every circumstance we face. I do pray, Lord, that within ourselves we have you living, you empowering us. I pray that we would understand your love for us. And Lord, I pray that we would speak to you constantly, asking you to do far and beyond what we can even think or imagine. You are a great God, and you are a powerful God, 
and you are a loving God. For that we thank you, and for that reason we pray. And I pray Jesus in your name. Amen.